Oh, look, mate, it's, it's nice to formally yeah. see you and, and meet you and, and, and to be able to have, have a chat like this. I do appreciate you giving me uh, some of your time. And uh, I think no it, was, it was kind of cool to sort of follow you up after having a chat with um, with Feltz last Sunday. When was it? Last Tuesday. You know, because again, like I was curious to hear about right. some of the stuff that he'd done post Loughborough. Um, and obviously, you know, you guys have worked together mm. and there was a, he sort of shared a few insights onto, you know, the stuff that you've done with Cam and at AJ and also he talked a bit about his time shining as well, which was, uh, which was good. But I think, um, yeah, I'm sort of keen to hear from say that the fast bowling coaches now, they're like, obviously I'm not sure like how much you're able to kind of elaborate on, um, in regards to current players and their, you might say techniques and coaching methods and and that sort of stuff but I just always think it's quite interesting to hear like when you've had say someone like Cam when you know Phelps was kind of talking about I guess you know having four stresses you know just how and I think he was sort of touching on you know where his action was for instance it had sort of gone a bit away from what you probably think is natural to him and did kind of require you know quite a rebuild and as a as yep. say a you know private fast bowling coach, the the area I work in would say you could bring me a fast bowler. It doesn't matter what I do with them; they're still not playing professionally. <laughs> if you have a professional fast bowler, whatever they've done to get there is like obviously it's 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 enough to play professionally. So I think it's a really interesting kind of conversation to say hear from a coach who has worked professionally mm. when the conversation I think is quite different. As much as I might believe that, I just I just like the idea that you should always be looking to improve or like you know working in a direction where you're gonna keep getting better and better out of yourself. Like if you're good enough to play there, like you might be hesitant to kind of do that and say someone like a Cam who is coming off a bunch of stresses. Like you know, I'm kind of really curious to see how that relationship mm. with Felt work, what you guys did and what sorts of best drills you guys <laughs> used, how many poles you set up, was it eight, was it ten? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, okay. I think what you, what's interesting, what you said there, mate, is um, I think it's true whether you work in the professional game or with your young 12-year-old that's running around his local park, I think, First and foremost, you'd appreciate this as a coach. I think there's a huge duty of care and a huge responsibility that comes with coaching fast bowlers because of the risk factors associated with it, particularly with the injury rates. And 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 it's not just a physical injury. It's the impact that injury has on young quicks. Um, you know, my conversation with Cam when I first met, met Greeny when I came to WA, was it was quite an eye-opener. It was quite an emotional conversation and... He basically said to me that if he doesn't get this sorted, if he gets hurt again, he'll walk away from bowling and he'll just be a batter and not bowl. Mm. And, you know, that's really sad wow. to hear that it got to that point that someone that we can see now has got some real potential as a fast bowler was going to actually walk away from that because it was the emotional mm. toll of getting hurt and missing games of cricket. So, and that's the same conversation a young 11, 12 or 13-year-old might have with their parents and their coaches if they keep getting hurt. So first and foremost, I take it, it doesn't matter who it is. We've got a duty of care to use our skills mm-hmm. coaches to put them into safe positions, to look after them so they can learn and develop and enjoy their skill because if you don't enjoy it, 
it's a very it's a very painful thing to do if you're not enjoying it. Um, so from that point of view, that's a long drives day. A lot of my conversations, <laughs> and that wouldn't matter whether it was professional. Yeah, it is a long day, and um, yeah, whether you're professional or amateur or junior or senior, it really doesn't matter. The conversation is actually pretty similar. And what what I what you said there that I absolutely love is it's one of my non-negotiables as a coach is when you come into contact with myself or whatever, it's that's our first conversation. Are you open to getting better than you are right now? Because if you are, then we're going to go on a wonderful journey of discovery and, and um, you know, it won't be a, a straight up sort of nice even ride. Be prepared for some bumps along the way. But ultimately, it's going to be a lot of fun and you're going to get the benefit. Um, I'll elaborate a little bit further and say there's only ever two reasons that I intervene. I have to be 100% confident that I'm going to get a performance benefit to the player or I'm keeping them safer than they are now because there's a potential risk for injury or they are getting injured. Other than that, unless I'm happy with those two potential outcomes, then I think it's leave them well alone and just support them with what they have now. Which I think is a professional, like it is a really interesting kind of um, environment for me to think about the differences between, say, an amateur, again, like it doesn't really matter what I do with them. They're still not playing professionally. So you can kind of be a bit more, I guess you might say, aggressive. And I know Paul was mentioning how your plan with Cam was, you know, it was, okay, realistically, how could we sort of phase out some blocks and then let's take it back just a step so we can be like absolutely sure that whatever we do is like, you know, it's not kind of going to be a step back. But, you know, say with someone like Cam that you've gone, mm-hmm. right, let's, let's actually do something. Like, you know, I'm sort of curious to hear about what sort of blocks or what kind of phases or what kind of protocols, without going into it in too much detail, but just sorts of things that you were looking for as a coach to yeah. see him through. Yeah, well, first and foremost, you've got to look at what's the mechanism that's creating the injury. What are, what are the issues that are compromising his position? Um with Cam, again, you're absolutely right. Professional bowler, been through programs uh, 20 years of age when I got hold of him or 19. So things are pretty ingrained. There's some habits there that we knew we were going to have to, to break. But I sort of think of it rather than trying to break a habit, try and instill something new so you can go at it from that point of view. So we're not consciously telling him he's got to undo what he's doing. We're going to teach you something new. We're going to give your brain some new puzzles to try and solve. And in doing that, you're going to get frustrated and you're going to find it difficult, but you're going to have some fun. And um, some of those, um, you know, things will will come to light as we progress. But the first and foremost was understanding Mm. why Cam was getting hurt. Um, Now, anyone that has seen Cam's action over time would see that those usual risk factors that we identify, you know, huge amounts of lateral flexion and huge amounts of rotation and a six foot seven immature body that weighs 110 kilos under a huge amount of force. It was a recipe for <laughs> disaster. And then when you throw in, throw in the, the overs that's expected in professional cricket and the frequency of those overs, it was a perfect storm really. So, you know, the first and foremost, it was looking at the footage, doing the stuff that you and I do best, which is to analyze and, and sort of, Look at all the science, I guess, which is where Feltz was so important to me. Like Paul Felton, if you discovered, is an absolute marvel and a resource for me as a professional coach that I think is essential because yeah. I didn't I didn't spend years at university studying biomechanics 
but I need to have a really good understanding. And he he simplified for me the potentially <laughs> unsimplifiable, if that's a word. Um, and in using his help and, and then my my skill as a coach, I guess, yeah, is to try and take his message and simplify it for Cameron so as not to confuse him and make it seem a very scary proposition. Mm. Um, and, and the one thing that Feltz was brilliant at highlighting for me was when you change someone, there's another risk here as well. In in fixing them and making them healthier, are you taking away their performance? Are you are we taking Cameron's X factor away yeah. by completely remodeling him? What made him fast? What gave him those things? So uh, we had to factor that in as well. But ultimately, number one, yeah. get him safe um, and get him playing cricket again. Mm. Um, Cam was really open um, because it was an easy sell because he was getting hurt. Um, but because of the fact that we were going to be rebuilding his action to a point, I felt the most important process in this was coming up with an idea or a, or a method that, you know, Cam could understand without getting confused. It's quite daunting for Cam to, to think about yeah. technical change, which it is with a lot of young players. So mm-hmm. I went down the, I went down the route of having physical interventions and quite an implicit way of coaching. So, Basically, setting up, nice. setting up a puzzle, which we touched on there, the poles, and saying to him, right, you need to find a way through there, and I'm just going to sit back and watch and observe and and watch your body change its position, because the interventions are going to dictate that you need to do that. And then, and then once his brain starts to solve the puzzle, start to get him to articulate to me, what are you actually doing, Cam, to to solve this? This riddle. What are you doing to fit mm. through these poles that are they're horrible, they're squeezing you, mm. they are really changing what you want to do naturally. Um, yeah, the best poles. And that was always going to take a bit of time. Yeah. And you touched on it there. Yeah. He, it's not a case of sticking two or three poles down in the crease and say, get through there. We must have had... 20, 30 poles because we took them we took them a long way back into his run-up. We took them a long way out the other side of his action to really control his entry, his position at the crease and his exit. Um, it was a tough ask for him because he's – and I squeezed him as well. Like we didn't give him a lot of space because we wanted to make sure that we did shift his position. Um, yeah. The tricky bit to that is is the patience element. He needs He needed to be patient yeah. because doing coaching that way – it's, it takes you longer to get to the answer and longer to get to this to where you want to be. But it's it's I think it's worth the investment of time. Yeah, I mean you touched on a couple of things there. That well, one of the conversations I've I've really enjoyed having with myself and thinking about like what's my like philosophy for developing a fast bowler, and um, and that's where I enjoyed the I don't just want to be a, a technical coach and like you know when you first uh, you share some stuff on Facebook the first thing people say is oh can you coach me through a straight front leg. But you often find, like, at least from the questions that I'll get, it's like to become a better fast bowler, they'll pick something and then like, okay, so if I get better at that, mm. it'll make me a better fast bowler. So it's like they're taking these secondary approaches to becoming better, whether it's speed, whether it's, you know, a brace front leg. And it's like, no, to be a better fast bowler, you've got to become a better fast bowler. And what does a better fast bowler do? And you can break it down mm. and take wickets, minimize runs, and then go into all the areas of that. But this whole concept of like, what's an effective training approach? Like, 
And I sort of thought like, well, yeah. in, in, in my head, it was I need, well, I need an effective approach and I need a positive training outcome. Like me saying, let's try to make you bowl faster when you're like poorly aligned and you can't bowl straight. Maybe that's not the right time. And if I try to do it by saying just running faster, it might not work. So, and I remember when I kind of first started coaching, like, you know, again, it probably wasn't so implicit. You had much more internal cues. And this is where I found it was so interesting mm. to sort of think through where my coaching might be now, where it is much more based on like your experience of fast bowling. Can I get you to say, have a straight front leg without ever saying straight in front leg? If I can try to give you a feeling of what it's like to say, use your front leg and your rear leg together and like step over the top of it and then tell them, mm. all right, now try and go and do that by bending the front leg. And it's like, well, that doesn't feel right. Well, good. Now you kind of get an idea of both. And it's, I think it's just so interesting to hear like how other coaches have gone through trying to develop those implicit means. And, and you know, again, like when you think about how you develop a, a coaching plan, me and Co- I mean, Felt's also kind of touched on going, maybe you wouldn't always use so many constraints. You know, it's not like there's a, a perfect way to mm. kind of approach it. But like you said, with someone like Cam, like if you've got time and, and this is your last chance of doing it, I just think it's, I mean, you may as well. And then I think it's interesting to hear like, all right, well, you've gone down the constraints that approach, which, you know, I love that. But so if you want to maximize the implicit gains and, mm. and how they, they, they stick with them when you start to take away the constraints, like I'm curious, like how you guys manage that, and that's really getting to the art of coaching. Going, you know, what what are some of the things that you look forward to? Yeah, all right, I reckon you're good at progressive, and that that was shit. Let's go back a step. Yeah, absolutely. I think the most important thing you got to remember too, Cam was under a bit of time pressure in terms of there was still an expectation he was going to play uh, while this work was going on because oh, he, he got selected, although he had a winter, a winter. <laughs> that's right, he got selected in a test series, one day internationals first, and I was like, oh. Part of me was like, "This is amazing," but another part of me was like, "Oh my god, this is not is not yeah. ready yet." <laughs> but you know, there's more. There's more that has to go into this process than just the technical. Mm. Um, I, I'm I'm like you. I don't want to be a technical coach necessarily, but I do believe technique is so important. And you know, you think of many other sports. I think of professional golfers. They they employ a swing coach, but they will still understand how their body moves and how their swing feels because they invest time in it. A lot of young fast bowlers have no idea how their body moves or why it does what it does or what a what a good position is and what a, a poor position is because they just don't invest the time. So the one beauty about working with Cameron and doing the implicit way and the constraints-based approach was he had to start trying to really understand and feel what he was doing because I wasn't going to tell him. And I wasn't going to show him any footage and I wasn't going to give him any other option other than to tell me. Um, and it took a long time for him to start coming up with the right answers because I had the I had the luxury of sitting back and watching this this thing unfold and yeah. change in front of my eyes within, within a session. But he didn't have that luxury. He was yeah. just trying not to decapitate himself mm-hmm. on a pole. Um <laughs> so I think from that point of view they're plastic we should say that I think actually. from that point of view <laughs> yeah but um, that was all the motivation he needed to get through to not take his yeah. eye out um, yeah but uh, you know so once Cam was able to start telling me about you know for example with him his big cue was his shoulders and how he entered the crease 
once he realised that that he had an early shoulder turn, which created a big change of direction and led to some really poor alignment. Once you understood the the way he was bringing his arms into the action and and, and all the rest of it, he started to realise that by doing by changing his shoulder and his arms, he was able to enter the crease far straighter, maintain balance or a more balanced position, which was ultimately all he needed to do to get through those poles is to to be balanced and and I think that's what bowling is. I mean, you've probably watched kids and, and adults and that run in from varying different angles, varying different uh, ways of running, jump heights, bound heights, distances, all that sort of stuff, doing the best they can to become unbalanced um, when all I want <laughs> them to do is, is stay balanced because that way, that way you've got half a chance of, of putting yourself in a good position creating and transferring that wonderful energy towards your target. And guess what? If you do that effectively, you're generally going to be pretty successful. Um, mm. But most kids are fighting their bodies throughout the whole bowling action and trying to stay upright and, and, in, and in doing so create all these issues, not just for the health of their body, but for the direction that they want to send the ball in. Um, mm. So ultimately, I think, mate, in terms of that transfer into a game, it was always going to be tough. So we knew that once the season started, Cameron still had to have some sort of restrictions on him because he was not going to be perfect for a period of time. Um, and when he got into games, he was always likely to revert. We knew that. And we definitely did see that at times. So it was important that we still touched on his technical work um, as he returned to playing and as he kept playing. So how he structured his week was going to be really important. Now, like most young bowlers, technical work becomes horrible because it becomes very clunky, very, you know, difficult and frustrating as a lot of emotion can come into it and all that sort of stuff. So to do that close to competition would have been the wrong time. So mm. if I was to give you a very basic overview, if we knew he had a game on Saturday, we would structure his technical sessions mm. for early in the week knowing that he could safely park those no matter how good or negative the outcome was. Mm. And then his fo- his focus could switch to competition as he as he came close to playing. And mm. he just had to become very good at parking the technical sessions, focusing on his outcome, playing the game, review his performance, but know that his next session was likely to be another technical session. And then yeah. over a period of time, we know that the work was going to get sort of closer and closer together. The workloads in match were keeping him safe. Um, mm. Cricket Australia were fantastic. I mean, taking a fast bowler into an international test series and, and saying, yep, we'll manage his workloads in a test match, I've never heard of that before. So their willingness to do that was also <laughs> a huge part of why he was able to, wow. to cope. Mm. And they're still doing it now, as you oh, know. I think- they're still managing him well. And I think having... Yeah. Pat Cummins as your head, as your captain, helps. Yeah, for sure. And I reckon maybe they may have had some experience in the past of, say, I'm pretty sure it was Pattinson who, you know, coming back from the stress, he went to, I think it was a subcontinent series, bowled like 50 or, but had just a crazy workload and mm. ended up breaking down again. So interesting mm. to see how these things kind of, you know, you have enough historical data. That was actually, I had a chat with, um, uh, oh, fuck. It's not good. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Uh, but I had a chat with, you know, 
What's the first aid? It's kill it. Oh, fuck, it's bad. I can't, I can't, I, can't, I won't be able to put this part up because I can't have people know I've got his first aid. But the SC codes that, that was with Australia, the thing I would kill it, I can't, I'm fucking drawing a mental flag. It's going to shit me here. I'm going to look at Instagram just to double check what it is. Kill it. I know it's an A as yeah, well. You'll shout it out. Aaron, shout fuck. Out I was like, you know. You know what it was? I was thinking like Andrew Ty and I've got Aaron Kellett and a couple other things as well. And I was like, oh, fuck Aaron. But AK, you know, I had, I, I had a chat with him, you know, two years ago and, and he was sort of saying, you know, one of the things is say the resting policies and whatnot. It's like we have enough historical data and that's just a wonderful term that like they've seen the workloads they've done. They've got the scans. It's easy to kind of know when like specifically for this individual when they're running a red light because we've seen what their body does when that happens and like that's just yeah it's just wonderful to be like we, we can use that so intentionally and be like this is going to get the best out of you for your longevity and look we want that longevity so mm. you kind of just got to do it mm. and i think if it's i think we've had quite a few fireballs kind of break down a, across their career and potentially not always want to adopt the you might say best practice recovery which is i mean what, what do they say about fireballs yeah. like they're all Dumb, so kind of just want to play <laughs> and bowl fast and hit knock blokes heads off. But yeah, look, I think that's um that was that was something that was um, really interesting. But you see, you talking about the the early shoulder rotation, I reckon because Felt put me onto this too. Yeah. And I think it was a, a year and a half ago, I sent him put to the bowl, and I was just curious to have somebody else look at it. And he picked out the left arm and the runner. And it was just before the jump. You know, left yeah. arm starts to come across. It doesn't doesn't enter back out so we don't get that rotation yep. coming back and I th- I've seen quite a lot of fastballs mm-hmm. do that and that's that's almost like if someone does that I can already see a mixed action kind of coming now it's is that mixed action going to lead them yep. too far into kind of side flexion or are they going to end up kind of dumping the shoulder blade and bowling more random it's just such an interesting kind of thing to kind of pick up and think mm. to myself going I reckon I could overcome this by just doing a shit, like t- teaching them how to run and move their arms together. And if they can link that kind of back into their action, like hopefully we can start to see some, um, some improvements. But I guess the, the next question there for say, in a, in a more theoretical sense is going, if you've got someone like that and I say, nah, let's, let's, let's separate the hips and shoulders now because, you know, that's going to give us some more speed. Are we going to then start to put a new stress or pressure on their body, which I think mm. is, you know, always a. No, I haven't seen it happen yet in my realm of work, but I'm not working with guys that have to yeah. play for four days or five days, and they kind of go from there. But and then the other one that I know felt was good mm. with was on just 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 running up too fast, because you see people that know those four biomechanical yeah, uh, correlates, and um, and they take them at face value. You know, it's like. A brace front leg is correlated mm. with ball speed, but like if you just get a brace front leg, but you don't use the front leg in the way it's supposed to be used, it'll look pretty. I reckon like sometimes you see people with their leg land brace, but the whole body will move over with it. Like the hip, the shoulder, the bowling arm, it all kind of comes through together. You don't that get that kind of um, segmented acceleration. And when they release the ball, they're almost like that. They're so tall. You know, there's like there's just there's no kind mm. of you might say energy going through the action. But they'll think, nah, that's that's looking good. You know, yeah. I've, I've got a straight front leg. Well, you're probably slower now, so oh look. 
that's a bit of a tangent that I just love to. I, I do love my tangents. Like I just love to see where they go. Simon's great for that as well. But um, I've got where I was at before. Yeah, I wanted to ask something else about Cam, but I think. Uh, oh, how's it going now? Actually, like he's had the test series, he's come back. Like he's obviously he's now at a stage where he's bowling, mm. and he's p- probably gotten through what a year and a half of, of say. Return the two, two, two test series or three test series now he's got through and obviously into the one day setup as well. But um, the deload phase for him is really important as well. How they manage in between games and you know, the rest of it because his body needs to recover. Um, yeah, and his bone, his bones need to mend and build again and all those good things that we know about. So you know he he needs to rest and also there's a mental stress to this as well. Like Cam also has to try and bat six for his country. So you know, from the mental yeah. load for a young man of only 22, he has to have some time out from cricket. Um, uh, one of the things I promised him when I moved back here to the UK just recently was that, you know, I'm still going to be involved. And I know Andrew McDonald, um, Australian now head coach, and I spent a lot of time mm-hmm. together with Cam. So we want to keep that link going because I think continuity is something that can sometimes... Mm go missing in professional sport, especially with someone like Cam who's had a lot of interventions and placed a lot of trust and faith in me to yeah. suddenly just abandon him now would be the wrong thing to do. And it's very important that he and I keep that link and he's going to come across other bowling coaches in his career and it's mm. important he stays true to the work he's done and, and filters and knows what to take on and what to not take on. But at the moment, I think yeah. it's just important that he that he recovers but um, I think what's uh, picking up on the point you just made a little bit there, you say it was off on a tangent, but you know, you're absolutely spot on though. It's um, when you do make a change, there is obviously that little concern that you're going to put load or there's going to be an adaptation to moving a little bit differently. Mm. But I generally feel from my experience, if you put a bowler in a better position, they're all, their body almost thanks you for it. Um, yeah. One of the best questions I ask most young fast bowlers or even professional fast bowlers is if I could say to yeah. you, how would you like to bowl faster but with less effort, would you be interested? I haven't yet come across a bowler that says <laughs> no. I wouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> and That's I think it's question. not just the pace. It's not the pace bit. Yeah, it's not, it's not the pace bit that excites them the most. It's the fact it's not going to hurt so much. Um, mm. because you're absolutely right. There's there's so many little things that come from the run-up in particular, and Feltz has been fabulous to me, and he and I are on the same page with this. I do most of my coaching mm. before they even get anywhere near the crease because I know that yeah. a lot of the issues that we see in the crease are a result of the way they run, the way they move, mm. um, how fast they run, how high they jump is another one. I mean, yeah, some guys Very think well. they're doing a high jump. And it's just you know it's so <laughs> it's so counterproductive to trying to move move and create energy towards the target, and then you jump vertically. It doesn't really make sense. So yeah, and you can get some huge wins and some huge technical changes and improvements just from focusing on those parts, mm. which are actually an easier sell because they're not highly technical, mm. so they're not as scary. Yeah, and um, and with children and with kids in particular, you stick a row of poles in front of a professional bowler like Cameron Green. They're like they look at you like mm. you're from outer space, and what's what's this? <laughs> you put the you put a row of, you put a row of poles in front of a youngster. They go, this is like a playground. 
how fun's this? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet we don't see we don't see enough of this stuff, these constraints approaches, or these this real yeah. focus on getting into better positions at a young enough age. And I think for me, that's my biggest frustration yeah. as a coach is is what's happening at those younger age groups that still means that mm. we're having the same issues. We're still getting a Cameron Green coming to a program at 17, 18 with an action that's just destined to hurt him. Mm. Um, and yeah, the other thing I'm sure you've come across point. this is how much cricket they play, how many times a week they bowl. Completely uncontrolled, a lot of these youngsters. They play for their school, they play for their club, yeah. they play with their mates, they play for their district. They just bowl so many overs with a compromised technique and a body that's not ready, and we wonder why we have this problem. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Nathan Kylie said it really well. I'm pretty sure it was seen in one of the podcasts I had when I first sort of started doing these things, but he was like, if you're a young, talented fast bowler, you're at the highest level of injury. Like, to be a good teenager... So obviously you're going to play probably if you know if you're a private school if you're playing rep cricket and then you play local it's like it's just it's it's insane. Plus back in the day at least you know they were much more likely to go and play you know cricket during lunchtime at school. And I just think yeah it's a it's an in, in, interesting one to have to try to tell people like you know you need to sort of prioritize certain bowling lines. But but yeah you're right and I really do enjoy the mm. the links you talk about between the technique and the mindset because. You know, I love going full circle with the four pillars, you know. It's such a wonderful thing to link together that at, at all times, you know, I, I usually put the tactical skill in the middle, then you've got the technique, mindset, and physical, because, like, the skill everyone's doing, and that's when, like, I might try to sell to, to people and, or more, yeah. more, more like educate. Like, if you just want to work on your skill and tactics, it's great. Like, if you want to just let the rest be as they are, they'll always, like, the wheels will always be turning. You just won't be doing anything about them. So, like, you probably should do something about them and everything links back to uh, to mindset. And I also like to split mindset from a performance perspective and then just from a, like, individual kind of perspective because, like, I could give you great mental skills. Mm. But, like, if you yourself are an insecure, you know, potentially young guy that you just can't believe in yourself, it doesn't matter what skills I give you. You won't believe they'll work. Like, it's... It's almost going to become a self-defeating prophecy where, you know, you'll, I'll give you these wonderful tools, you won't believe they'll work, and then you'll almost, like, justify the reason why they won't work. That's the future you'll then start to create. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine, like, the conversations that could potentially pop up with, say, some professional fireballs that it's their careers riding on it. There's a lot more genuine, yeah. I think, stress in the go, that's like, this is your career, where an amateur is just much more, I think, just perceived mm-hmm. I'm a failure type thing which is unfortunate but hmm. yeah well i think you're right aj ty who um i've become very close with aj he's a fabulous man and really enjoyed working with him but he was Hmm. a tough sell like he he had an idea in mind of what he wanted to achieve and what he needed but how he had to do it was scary um in a nutshell, yeah. he was he was struggling to maintain his ball speed. His ball speed was dropping away, he was, you know. He and his his so called best skill of his variations in white ball cricket were becoming less effective because, in particular, his slower ball, the difference in speed between his pace mm-hmm. off ball and his pace on ball was coming closer together. 
and he felt that he lost the ability to bowl his wow. bouncer and and um, you know keep mm. people honest. But I could see pretty clearly from watching him where he was robbing himself of a potential yard of pace. Um, mm. And it took me, I remember the first time I suggested to him, look, there's something I've got for you if you want it. Um, and he straight away said, I don't want it, which is, and I was like, no, that's no right. problem. I don't have a problem with that because yeah, I don't want someone to dip a toe into anything unless they're willing to commit. And I got the impression that he wasn't right. ready. And he, that might have been because his relationship and mine had not yet got strong enough. It could have been what you're talking about. Mm. Why would I change now? I'm 30 years old and you're telling me I need to change. You know, that can be quite scary for mm. um, for more senior successful bowlers. But I think it's important not to give up as a coach. If I really believed, as I said to you, that I could add performance, yeah. then I almost felt it was my duty to do so. I just had to get my messaging across to him. And I just yeah. kept drip feeding him. Every day I'd walk past him and say, mate, it's here if you want it. And he'd sort of smirk at me and, yeah. <laughs> and walk past me. And I must have done that. I did that for, I did yeah. that, I did that for weeks. I said, hey, Jay, I'm here if you need me. I've got it if you want it. That's amazing. <laughs> and um, That's brilliant. I think I eventually wore him down as if to think, well, what is this bloody thing he's got? I need to find out what this is. Um, <laughs> is this a best drill? It's just a really small little technique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was a really small technical change that he just he just had to be prepared to give it a go but the mindset thing yeah. you talk about until his mindset was open enough to give it a try and i'd mm. and i had sort of said to him because i'm with you mindset's so important i said to him this is what you've got to expect though you've got to expect that you're going to do something here and it's going to feel pretty awful to start with yeah. and you're and you're going to want to give it up. You're going to want to say this is too difficult and it's probably not something for me. And I said, you've got to try and frame different as an awful as positive because it means you're changing. Mm. And that's exactly what I'm asking you yeah. to do is to yeah. change. Yeah. And all I ask then, mm. all I ask for you then is I will hopefully be able to provide you with some evidence that this is going to, in fact, increase your ball speed. And then we set down this, we went down this process of actually doing it and we got the speed gun out. We were able to put numbers to it and actually provide him the evidence that it was okay. And then it was really then that he went, mm. oh, maybe this guy isn't a lunatic and he actually knows what he's talking about. So <laughs> I'll give it a, I'll give it a crack. And so away we went and we did some sessions and he, and he started to get feedback from his current, his players and guys coming out the net saying, mm. mate, you're hitting the bat hard and, you know, and they would come out to me and say, AJ's really coming through today. This is awesome. I said, well, can you give him that feedback? Because it's better off coming from you than it is from me. And he started to puff his chest out and really believe. And then the first BBL, his first BBL game of BBL 10 down in Hobart, he smashed 140-odd K an hour in his first game, which he hadn't been at for nearly two years. And then he was away. After that, he was absolutely flying and had all the evidence that he needed. But... Really? It's, but it took a long time, and I think that's what coaches need to realise: is yeah. this there's no quick fix or no quick wins. It's there has to be a very has to be a real commitment from both mm. both parties, coach and player, that we're going to do this together, and we're going to ride the highs and we're going to yeah. feel the lows, but we're in it together. And um, whatever happens, mm. sort of you know, I'm I'm there to support him as his coach, and 
And uh, I think once we had that established, uh, away we went. And now it's just a, a matter of now managing it, just checking in with him, making sure he's still doing mm-hmm. his drills because they don't stop. Um, and yeah, yeah, but mindset was uh, was important because at first it wasn't the right mindset, but by the end of it, it was, and it just took time to get there. Yeah, it's really really interesting. Like you know, I love how you've kind of talked so much about the coach to athlete relationship, and and I went through and mapped out my you might say coaching philosophy and sort of put things in there because I just enjoy frameworks. And um, below the like up. What is it? If I build ground up, you know, you've got the, I'd say, mind, body, and soul, the individual, you want to get to know someone, but you've got the coach to athlete relationship. Like, you could have the best whiz bang, best mm. drills in the world, but like, if you don't have a supportive coach to athlete relationship and you can't communicate or you can't find a way to get through, it doesn't matter jack shit how good your coaching methods might be. You can't actually get through to them. I think it's so interesting. Like, <laughs> How how you've gone, like what I've probably taken away most is is how you've really communicated in this like you've developed these, you might say, coaching questions where you've they're quite introspective, you know, you're inviting the player to with their own answer, essentially, enter enter into what we're looking mm. to do. And look, if they don't make that first answer, it's like, no worries, like I'll I'll put another door in front of you to see if you want to come and and walk through it. I just think that's quite brilliant. Like, and obviously, I think people when they do eventually listen to this, like at the top level, like you're going to meet resistance, obviously. And I think it's so wonderful that yeah, how you guys have managed that. It's ended up in this position in the future where, like, one, he's gotten great improvements. Two, you've got a great cross athlete relationship. Like, this, this, this in of itself. I wonder how many coaches, one cup of patients, two might not handle those encounters as productively, or then three, you know, it might end up being something like, well, don't you want to get better, etc.? Which is just obviously a completely wrong sort of question to kind of put back at someone. But oh, I just think that's um, that's brilliant. Yeah. And then the other thing, you know, coaching based on how does it feel, you know? Because I said I recently have been doing a lot of like. I want Bowler to define what it feels when it's your best, what it feels when it's your worst, because I need you to start to think of some terms to describe these things. Because in my mind, like my best approach yep. is going to be if you can feel it and you can really well define it, then that's what you're chasing every single ball. So when it's not there, what's missing? And that's what you bring back in, as opposed to what some people do, which is the most ineffective strategy I've found. When things aren't working, they go and investigate it, and they might pick out something very internal about one body part at a certain point in time, and then they'll have another one, and they start building these checklists of things. And I like to think about it like your front arm's wrong. Okay, so you focus on the front arm, so you knock over that domino stack, and you're trying to pick it back up, but then the bowling arm goes wrong. So, oh, fuck, I better change that to go over there. Then the front leg doesn't feel right. And next thing you know, you've got, I mean, you're completely lost. Whereas I love how it's like, if you can feel yeah. it, when you're at the top of your mark, you can kind of hold on to it. But I think, I know that mm. there's some coaches around the world that, you know, might coach based on what they think is theoretically better. It feels unnatural for the bowler. And when they're at the top of their mark and they have to execute this checklist of things for it to go right, they can't do it. Their bowling collapses. I just think that's, um, that's just yeah. so, I, I just love how it's... Um, define your bowlings that you can put into your own words really really clearly so that you can find it you know as often as you can and i mean if yeah. i keep ranting like i remember nasa said something that really stuck with me it was on a sky sports thing but he said like if you 
I'll try to use my best English accent. So if you want to play for England, you've got to have your best day every day. And I just thought, that's wonderful. You know, like mm. it doesn't mean that you've got to go up there and take 10 for a five for every game. But like, I know Feltz mentioned like you communicated that every ball is an event. It's like, well, all right, based on that, yeah. you've got to bring your A game this ball. If you bowl, if you try to bowl a great length ball and take top of off and it's too full and you get hit over, hit, hit over your head for six, well, it was too full. That's pretty straightforward to, you know, learn from and then bring back into your coaching. Away we go. That, that to me was like, how can you bring mm. your best game? And, you know, you can start to see like the kinds of conversations or mm. I guess the, the approaches that you've combinated, cult- cultivated, that's a better word, into, into these fast bowls. And yeah, it's just fascinating to, to hear. And also it's nice to think that I'm somewhat along a similar path. So I feel like I'm on, I'm on, I'm on somewhat of a, of a right track, which is, uh, which is wonderful <laughs> too. That's my little plug for myself. I'm good at that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> No, one hundred percent, you are, mate. I, I follow your Instagram account and have done for some time, and you know I've seen the stuff that you're trying to promote, and I lo- I love the holistic approach that you take because it really is that. Um, mm. You can't just turn up to a training session and say to a young fast bowler, "Put your arm here and do this," and that's a coaching relationship. Mm. It's it's not that. It's it's so so much deeper than that. Uh, I think my coaching philosophy was probably mm. born out of the fact I didn't have a bowling coach and I had very little support in my own professional career because right. when I turned up here to Worcestershire back in 2001, there was a head coach and that was it. Uh, there was no bowling coach. So you had right. nowhere to go. If you wanted to get better, mm. you had to try and figure it out yourself, which a lot of people say, oh, isn't that great learning? But we all need a little bit of help, especially yeah. when we have bad days. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I reckon you have more bad days than good days, 100% in cricket. It's just the way it works out because mm. it's it's tough in professional yeah. sport. But to not have that support, that person to, who's invested in you and everything that you do is, is difficult. So I think that's mm. driven my my coaching philosophy is always how can I help? It's It's got to be. How can I help? Um, and it's it's far more than just standing at the back of a net. It's it's understanding how are they, first of all, when they turn up to a training session, whether they're 25, 30 years old or 12, how was your day today? Yeah. Because if they've not had a good day, then you're not going to have a good session. Or your session mm-hmm. might be the best part of their day. So how can we make this really good fun today so that when he yeah. comes back tomorrow or she comes back tomorrow, they're in better spirits. Um, mm. It's a real all-encompassing way of looking at it. And, um, and I think... Once you, it's like I'm a parent. I've got two children. I've got a 15 year old daughter and an 11 year old son who have both started new schools just today. They've come all the way back from Australia. Right. And they're yeah, going to their new schools. About the first day. Stressful. Stressful, mm. stressful yeah. for them. And I think if I coach like I parent, then mm. I know that my, you know, the guys I coach, the girls I coach, they're going to get nothing but care but they're also going to get a little bit of correction when they need it, but not in a way that's, you know, telling them or standing over them. It's, it's mm. basically asking them a question of could we have done this another way or could you have reacted differently or what yeah. if you looked at the problem this way? Um, almost like you mm. said, keep inviting them to be the mind. ones that find the answers. Keep in, yeah, yeah, keep inviting them to, to be the ones that drive their own development. And you talk there about... Mm. 
uh, my philosophy around each ball is an event. Well, each ball is an opportunity for success. So, like you said, you bowl one poor ball, doesn't mean the next ball won't be an absolute snorter. You know what I mean? You can't let yeah. one poor ball affect your day or the next five minutes of your life. Yeah. Um, so sort of, again, a bit like you, just trying to stay really sort of philosophical about it and, and enjoy what you're doing and understand that you're just moments away from having either the best mm. day or the best moment or the, you know, or it's AJ Ty suddenly hitting the speed gun at 145. I mean, he was your he was euphoric when he saw that speed yeah. gun at one forty five. It's all he talked about for three weeks. We couldn't shut him up. <laughs> That's so good, you know. And it's those <laughs> things that it's those things that are so important. And um, I think when we're coaching our young fast bowlers in particular, and they're getting ferried around between different schools, different coaches, different people's opinions, everybody wants a slice of the pie. Just put yourself in that young person's shoes yeah. and imagine being spoken to by 10 sets of parents, if you like. It would just be mind-blowingly difficult. So, um, yeah, I'm always, always very mindful of, of that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah, that, I mean, you kind of really filtered nicely into one of the other kind of uh, conversation topics I thought would be interesting around, you know, coaching philosophy across the, uh, the journey. And, and it kind of sounds very similar to to how I kind of um, built up what I was doing. Like, definitely wasn't a, 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 as talented a cricketer. I was much more broken, you know. I um, I think I stopped bowling at 19 and then batted for, you know, three years, came back to bowling, got broken again, and then came back to bowling after a, a, um, a bowler got injured in the warm-up in a, you know, second-grade match, grade cricket, and thought, well, look, I'll do it, you know, and then got the kind of passion back and finally found Simon, but I remember like, I was really keen. I wanted to know, like, I wanted to figure out what is it that just is making me do this? Not just injured, but like, where could I get better? And there's nowhere to go. Like, you know, back in that day, you know, the first people I found was, you know, Cricket Strength, so Steph and Juicy. And then I found Simon, who was on Bowl Strong. And I'd drive down to Geelong, which was an hour and 20 minutes away, go down there, train for an hour. He, he was wonderful because like, we would just talk for hours after him. You know, it's out of that that I thought as a coach, like, and I probably built my services around that. Um, I am here if you have yeah. questions because I know what it's like when you've got something that isn't answerable. And if it's not answerable, then you'll create maybe assumptions, which could then potentially filter into an yeah. effective training approach. So if I know that, like, you know, trial and error is great, but if you don't know, like, where you're digging, like, how are you supposed to end up finding where you're supposed to be? But if you can get someone that can kind of guide you along mm. the way or when you have a question, you've got someone to go to. Like, how wonderful is that? Or someone that, like, yeah. knows your mindset so knows when you're going the wrong way and can invite you into understanding why you're going the wrong way. Open up those perspectives and and it's great. And like, But it's interesting. Like, I, I, I still don't think there's as much um, technical support, you might say, or, you know, four pillars if mm. I use that term to sort of guide bowlers and and I don't know, mm. I, I, I really dislike the word doubt. You know, I have a doubt. It's like it's just such a I hate, I hate that word. It's a real negative connotation. It's like, you know, I have a query <laughs> about something. It's like I love to coach based on what's working, let's build on it. Not what's what working, let's explore it. You know, so I just think that's that that's great. Mm. You know? And I, I think that showing someone mm. that you care and, and helping them through 
that journey. Like, but I've also managed to build a service out of it. So, you know, they kind of pay me weekly and they get their coaching, they get their physical programs if that's mm. what they want to tear up to. But they can ask me all the questions they want. I mean, we've chatted for a bit and I'm hard to shut up. Sometimes I have to tell myself, like, Subs, you can stop talking now. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I'm the same. Uh, I love a chat. and uh, But, you know, it's no different. You're yeah. saying that you're in, you're providing a service and you're you're getting paid for that. I do, I'm doing the same. I get paid to do this job. But there's no doubt, though, that that's great. But I don't think about that because, like I said to you, this huge duty of care and responsibility yeah. that you feel—it still hurts me when I—it still mm-hmm. hurts me when I turn up to watch junior cricket or you know male or female junior games or whatever, and I, I see some of the some of the bowling actions and some of the the stuff that's going wrong that's not being um, yeah. sort of monitored or or fixed or you get the young kids that come in and they're throwing it and the coach is just hoping they get through the year without getting called so the next coach can try and deal with it. You know, this 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 yeah. sort of stuff that and I think that's that's unfortunate because that's unfortunate that's where you and I end up getting quite busy because we get these sixteen and fifteen and seventeen year olds that are coming to us broken or coming to us you know, three yards slower than they potentially might be because their technique's all wrong and they haven't had any coaching. Yeah. And or the saddest thing of all is when you hear of a, a young 14 or 15-year-old guy or girl that's given cricket up because they've had two stress fractures and he can't play and they fall out of love with it and think, I'll do something that doesn't hurt. Yeah. And it's all because, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to just attack what goes on at lower age groups because there's a lot of volunteers that work in that level. There's a lot of parents doing their best. Yeah with limited knowledge and, and stuff like that. And they are trying, but until we're able to get um, interventions and, and get a message down through the levels, some really yeah. simple things that people actually buy into and yeah. actually do, um, then we're always going to have this yeah. have this problem of, of, of young bowlers getting hurt. And um, you think how many years conversations have been going about fast bowling and the injury rates haven't really dropped. Yeah. Um, you no. know they're still getting stress fractures that they're still happening in but I do believe a lot of them are unavoidable and I still think technique is one of those things it's just not it's not coached either not enough anyway to keep them safe it's like people are still scared of it and actually yeah. it's not that scary no not at all and you know I've really enjoyed trying to like just refine the communication down to like just a couple of words it just takes care of everything you know, I, I, I love banging mm. about relaxation and running mechanics, you know, mainly because relaxation, I mean, most, like I said, it's almost feels a coach like I'm, I'm removing the limitations that you've already placed on yourself, whether it's poor running mechanics or, you know, you're opening up too early because maybe you just, you're tensed. So the muscles first have to relax before they can contract again. Mm. You know, if every kid learned how to run, I'd probably hazard a guess that you'd probably see much better techniques and probably fewer bowling actions. Sorry, not f- fewer bowling, that makes sense. Mm. Fewer injuries or fewer injuries from yeah. poor bowling actions. But you did give me kind of a good idea there to say, you know, I always thought about opening up a membership thing where it's chuck a bunch of information up there, but it's probably scope to say, put a bit of a, a fundamentals thing together for parents to come through and go all right you know i've had a few people come to me and say oh do you coach 10 year olds 11 year olds or sit back and think and sometimes these people are, mm. are overseas like someone from the u.s reached out i'm like i i could 
don't really know what I'd do. Mm. You know, if it's online and he's over there, like maybe we could have a chat mm. and I could kind of say, well, why don't we set up this and let him have some fun trying to execute this challenge, so to speak. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a, I mean, that's, that's yeah. a good link. I might have to put some work on that and, uh, and see if I can put a parents course together. Because, you know, the good thing is too, they've got the money to pay and then that just goes into building the next thing that could sort of come up. Well, mate, anything, but anything that helps get the message out there because mm. absolutely. I think um, the other thing that frustrates me a lot about young youngsters is everyone's very quick. Oh, he's just not strong enough. <laughs> They're not, not strong enough to cope. Uh, it doesn't matter yeah. what sport you play at what age, you can, main, you can be balanced. It's not that they're not strong enough. It's mm. just that they're not balanced enough because what they're doing is creating imbalance. It's yeah. not to do with strength necessarily. It's to do with the fact they're running a million miles an hour because I think that's what they have to do to bowl fast. They jump mm. six feet because I think that's what they should do because they've seen someone else do it. Um, and they just can't control their bodies at that, that speed. Lead, it? So it's just putting them into putting them into some nice running patterns and some nice movement patterns that maintain balance and allow them yeah. to deliver a skill potentially not at the speed that they want, but in a safe way and knowing that this is just the the start of things. And, um, yeah, it's not strength or any of those things. So anyone can coach a young athlete to be balanced. We can all use interventions that put young people into good positions and make it fun. It's mm. And often I hear, oh, but there's so many. I've got 20 kids here. Well, you know what's about it's about 50 quid or 35 quid to get a bag of those poles invest in your club invest in your child go mm. and buy some create a playground for them to yeah to explore but stay in good positions it, it can be done we get too many excuses sadly at that lower level yeah and i i mean i just started doing some some weekend coaching master i call i called it a master class because it fit well with what i was doing on youtube but i thought i've, I've coached enough guys one-on-one and like private coaching usually does come at a premium, but you don't usually get people coming in weekly to get the, you might say, required mm. coaching to get to where they potentially could be. So I thought, well, I've coached enough sessions to be able to probably run a bunch of guys through their own individual technical work and then have some rest going. So I did something over the weekend where I had like five bowls on Saturday, four on Sunday, I had three lanes going and, and they all kind of went through and did their own thing and, I remember kind of thinking, like, wouldn't it be great if at every single local club, like, fast bowlers had a lane where, you know, that's where they did their warm-up, whether it was, you know, you might just roll through two overs of alignment with a string line or some poles or some currents, like anything just gets you going in straight lines. And then yeah. you move into your fast bowling more nets. Like, it, 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 it seems really simple to me, obviously, you know, I've thought this through and, and thought it through for a while, yeah. but... Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing that you could possibly add into your own yeah. local club? And it wouldn't cost that much either. Like I said, like the poles aren't super expensive. The cones are even cheaper, you know. Plus, you then give fast bowlers an actual yeah. warm-up because that's another thing. Like there is no fast bowler who does a proper fast bowling warm-up when they warm up at local training because not one fast bowler I know when they go into the nets <laughs> is ready to say, bowl their first ball. So... And then you get another issue out of that where you get a mismatch mm. between where do you start competitively bowling versus where are you warming up? So you get the jitters when they go into games because yeah. they've never really trained to like go, all right, first ball, we're on. And who knows, it might take them a few more than yeah. it probably should. 
I did think that was kind of interesting. And, and the other thing I was going to sort of yeah. bring up was I remember sort of saying to people like, Glenn McGrath ruined more fast bowlers than he's helped, which is, you know, a very playful way of saying, um, you know, because you like to move into the crease, bowl stump to stump to come through. <laughs> you see some bowlers that go, no, nah, I'm just bowling stump to stump. <laughs> but like the way that you're going in is your energy is still going that way and you're falling away mm. this way. And if you do watch mm. Glenn, he's not steaming in. And he does straighten himself up as best he possibly can. Mm. So I, I just always thought that was such an interesting thing. Yeah. There. We watch our idols on TV and uh, we might not take the best learning out of it. <laughs> yeah, I think um, there's no doubt we still have to embrace everybody's uniqueness and there will always mm. be those that do things a little bit differently. But again, it still comes down to those two things. It's okay to be unique. It's okay to be very different. But if you think there's a, if you yeah. think there's an opportunity to improve performance or keep them safe, then it's it's definitely worth the question. But only if they, you know, like I said, the first question you can ask is, if you could bowl faster with less effort, or I could improve your performance with less effort, would you be interested? Most mm -hmm. are. Some won't be. That's okay. It's yeah. okay to say no. Um, yeah. Because if they really, if they really have some time to think about it and, and they're curious enough, they'll come knocking on your door and say, you know what, yeah. coach, maybe I will give that a go. Mm. And you got to find, like, I reckon most people, when you drop that little thought into their head, based on how they go in their next couple of games, because it's there, they might be kind of evaluating themselves, going, mm. am I bowling fast enough? You know, my skill is kind of good enough. And I think that's where the real value of a, a good question is, you know, we shouldn't share all the... <laughs> you know, the psychological secrets us coaches have. But I, I do think that that's just a wonderful way to kind of get people thinking about what you want them to think about. And that's, I mean, that's when you talked about yeah. caring and like having a mentor or a guide, like that's probably the best part. You can tune people into what they should be thinking about and not getting caught up in the things that, you know, are, are only going to end up going around the spiral. Yeah. Yeah, but look, I think what I wanted to kind of continue with was, you know, you sort of talked through early sort of stages, but now I'm kind of curious to hear how your coaching yep. fast bowling philosophies evolved, like um, across your, um, you know, now kind of coaching career. But look, you know, that depends on how much time you've got, because to be honest, I could probably find questions or like things to just rant about for a couple of hours. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I've, I've got to be up in Birmingham in about 50 minutes because Nathan McAndrew, our uh, Aussie overseas, is here. So I've got to go and do a session with him. But I will finish with this question because I think it's, it's a good question nice. that you just, just asked. But um, it, 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 in terms of how it's developed, it's got a lot more simple, my coaching philosophy. Like, mm. there are only I only have three non negotiables, and we've, we've touched on them already. One is that willingness and openness to know that you could be better than you are today. And and then the second one is when you decide that that is the case and you dip a toe, then I want a full commitment because I'm giving you my full commitment. Yeah. So that means we don't just try it for a session, we've been it, and we don't just try it for a week. We're going to start a process that we both agree is going to take a little bit of time and it's going to, like I said, be a bit of fun and some yeah. tough stuff, some good stuff. But we're in it together because we've committed to this goal and away we go. And then the third one is just feedback. It has to be two ways. It can't just be coach to player. It's got to be player to coach. 
and it's got to be honest and open. And, you know, it can be anything from the player saying, I don't understand. It can be anything from coach, we just shut up for five minutes and let me bowl the ball. Um, it could be absolutely anything. And likewise, <laughs> you get that. I, need, I, need, I need to be able to feedback. You know, you're not giving me your best effort today. Why is that? Is everything okay? Um, you know, all these sorts of things, but it has to be constant communication during session, post-session, in-between session. Mm. Because like I said, it's a full commitment from us, from us both. And it doesn't really go much further than that, my philosophy, because that for me is where I develop players. There's obviously another part to my role in my job mm. where I have to support them tactically and emotionally and, and all that sort of stuff, yeah. which just that's just another part of the job. But um, none of them can do all those things we're talking about unless they play games of cricket. And the only way they can do that is to keep staying mm. fit and healthy. So it still drives me to make yeah. sure, like I said to you, I have a huge duty of care and a huge responsibility. These young players want to fulfil all their dreams and all their goals. It's a massive responsibility as a coach to make sure that they have all the tools that they need to do that. And even if they don't, I'd love to have a conversation where they come up to you and say, you know what, coach, I never quite got there, but I know we did everything we could to make to give me the best shot. Right. And then I know that I've done everything as a coach that gave them the best shot. Mm. And then we can all sleep well at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's just a wonderful line to, uh, to finish on. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Well, look, mate, I appreciate you 